Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. We've been doing a chronological journey through the Bible, uh, not through the Bible, but through the Gospels since the beginning of last year. And I am doing my best to try to mesh Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together in kind of a chronological order. I know that I'm getting it wrong at times because uh, there's no real way to mesh it together properly, but... You know, we're a year plus into it, so I'm sticking with it, and we're going to keep going. And we find ourselves right at the tail end of Jesus' second full year of ministry in the Bible, as in the Gospels, they record the ministry of Jesus, that it was somewhat three-plus years of ministry where he, from baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist until He was hung on the cross, buried, and resurrected from the grave. It was three-plus years of ministry. And so we are at the end of the second year, what the theologians call the year of popularity. And there is a turning away from Jesus that we'll read about in our text today. I've mentioned it the last few weeks, but we're going to read about that turning away of the ministry work of Jesus Christ by many of his disciples, where the word will tell us in John chapter 6, verse 66, that many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. So this is to me, and you know, you can give a take one way or the other. They call the second year of ministry, the year of popularity. They call the third year of ministry, the year of opposition. And I believe that we're seeing that change take place here in John chapter 6. I could be off a little bit, but to me, John chapter 6, verse 66, marks a definite turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at, and I pulled this title, not technically from the text that we're going to be looking at, but a a subtext that we're going to look at that... We need to be changed from the inside out. So the title of the message, Changed from the Inside Out. And we're going to see in our first point, the words of the flesh or the spirit in John 6 verses 59 through 66. Eleven believed and one deceived. John 6 verses 67 through 71. And contending with the religious rulers, Matthew chapter or Mark chapter 7. Verses 1 through 23. That's a lot of verses. Hopefully we can roll through them fairly easily. So we pick up in John chapter 6. We left off in verse 58 last week. We're going to pick up in John 6 verse 59. And the words of the flesh or the words of the spirit. 59 and 60. It says, These things he said in the synagogue that he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now, this discourse 
goes back to verse 25. We actually began looking at this two weeks ago, but it goes back to verse 25 of John chapter 6. And we find that this was following the feeding of the 5,000, where there they gathered to Jesus in Bethsaida, in the desert area of Bethsaida. He had taught the people all day. He didn't want to send them away hungry. And so he challenged his disciples, where can we get enough food that the people can eat? And they said, basically, uh, 200 denarii wouldn't cover this multitude that all would have but a little. They basically said to Jesus, a year's worth of wages couldn't feed this crowd to satisfy them. And Jesus asked, what do you got? And they came and said, we got five loaves and two fish. And remember, this is a boy's lunch. So five loaves, five biscuits, a couple of small fish. And Jesus looked up into heaven. He broke the loaves. He broke the fish. He distributed it to his disciples. They took it to the people, all ate until they were filled. And the Greek word for filled there means that they were satisfied. And I described it a few weeks ago, like Thanksgiving meal when you eat or Easter is coming up. And usually uh, we have a pretty large spread. You eat until you're satisfied. That's kind of the sense of this word. The people were satisfied with the food that Jesus provided them. But the day following, and there was a lot that took place, Jesus, after feeding the 5,000, sent his disciples away in a boat. Jesus dismissed the multitude. Jesus went up on a mountain to pray in the middle of the night. He came down from the mountain, walked on the water to his disciples. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They went to an area called Gennesaret, where the people found him there. And many people who were sick came and gathered to them, to Jesus, and touched the hem of his garments. And now this crowd that was in Bethsaida, coming the next morning, knowing that Jesus didn't go with his disciples, seeing that Jesus wasn't there, they got into boats that came from Tiberias, and they went searching for Jesus. They end up in Capernaum. And we're talking about an eight to 10 mile radius. It's, I mean, if you're walking on foot, yeah, it's, it's a long way to go. But if you look at the, your Bible maps and we have three towns, I should use three fingers when I say three, three towns named there, we're within an eight to 10 mile radius. They find Jesus somewhere in between Bethsaida and Gennesaret there in Capernaum and they begin to come to him and he deals with them and said when they found them he warned them not to labor for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life and that food is something that only Jesus can provide so they we began reading this is a hard saying we began reading from verse 59 and 60 60 the people said this is a hard saying who can understand it Jesus was talking about the bread of life, that he is the true bread that came down from heaven. And he said that only those who partake of my flesh and drink of my blood will have fellowship and will have everlasting life. And they were thinking cannibalism. I mentioned this last week. He was talking about communion, fellowship with God. But it was what in, was in their mind. This is a hard saying. What do you mean, eat your flesh, drink your blood? 
They couldn't comprehend the truth concerning Jesus. And the people had a difficulty believing in the words of Jesus and the work of Jesus. To this day, there are people who can't comprehend the truth concerning Jesus. They struggle in believing and receiving Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so they could not understand. This is a hard saying. They couldn't understand because they were taking it from a physical perspective when Jesus was speaking to them spiritual truth. 61 and 60 through 63 says when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. So Jesus is saying, I'm talking to you about spiritual things. What then? If you see me ascend to where I was before, back to heaven, to where I was before, will this be proof enough for you? And there were those there who would, in just a year's time, see Jesus do that very thing. As we read about in the Gospels, and there in the book of Acts, how Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that there were over 500 witnesses that saw Jesus resurrect from the grave. These disciples, though, they were offended because they had their hearts set on physical things, not understanding that Jesus spoke to them about spiritual things. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God responding to this question, who can know it? Who can know the heart? Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. I give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The answer is God knows the heart. Jesus, in John 6, 61, Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complain. Jesus knows our hearts. So first, regarding the Son of Man ascending to heaven, about a year from this time, there would be those who would see him do that very thing, ascend back into heaven. You can read about that in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Second, the Spirit gives life is something that we learn about from the very beginning in the creation account from Genesis chapter 1, and chapter 2, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And the very second verse of the Bible mentions the Spirit of God, the Spirit giving life. In Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed Man from the dust of the ground breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And here Jesus isn't talking about physical life. That's always already taken place. For everyone sitting here, we all have physical life. We're here. We have physical life. But spiritual life also comes 
through the Godhead, through Jesus Christ. Paul explains it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. That's purely referring to physical life. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, speaking about Jesus Christ, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 64 through 66, but some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. Once again, Jesus knew their hearts. And here John tells us from the very beginning, he understood those who would believe, those who would not believe. And in John's gospel, chapter 2, a similar thing was said. John 2, 24 and 25, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all man. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew their hearts. He knew those who would believe and those who would not believe. So the topic of election or predestination, this kind of brings us to that. We read about it in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6, where Paul is just worshiping the Lord at the beginning of his letter. And he said, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So this topic of election, predestination, it's a pretty large topic uh, the Reformation, the Reformed movement is a pretty big thing in churches, especially, uh, not all churches, but especially with younger people in their 20s and 30s. Many have been jumping on the Reformed bandwagon over the last 10 years, especially. So in a sense, we've seen a strong resurgence of this. I believe that the Bible does speak about election, predestination. But it also speaks about free will. Whosoever comes to the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. So there is God's part of salvation and there is the role that we play. God plays a role in our salvation. Of course, we play a role in believing and receiving Jesus Christ. Um, God doesn't force himself on anyone. And so the question is, when someone is worried about their salvation, I might ask, have you done what Scripture teaches in regarding salvation? Have you believed God? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Are you growing in your faith? Are you striving to go and to share your faith with others? And if they answer yes to that, to the first two questions especially, they believe in God, they receive Jesus as their Savior. The other uh, two parts of that, of growing in their faith and going, they're striving to learn about Jesus, they're desiring to tell others about Jesus, but then 
I would tell them that you can rest in the salvation that the Lord has given you. But if they were to answer no to these things, then I would challenge them if they actually have faith, if they actually do believe. We have a part of responding by faith in Jesus Christ, but it's not a work that we do that makes us saved. It's the work that Jesus did that brings us to life-saving faith. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this encounter happened about a day or two following the feeding on the 5,000. And it seems to me that it marks a clear divide from the year of popularity to the year of opposition when his disciples, many of them, walked with him no more. John 6, 66. I think that's an easy verse for us to remember. I go to the post office throughout the week to check our P.O. box for the church our P.O. box number is 646. Right next, the way they have it all lined up, right next to our 646 is 666. And I often think, I'm glad we didn't get that number. <laughs> so that helps us remember. But it's not, a, in a sense, a positive verse. But in the negative, many of his disciples turned and walked with him no more. Spiritual life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have 11 who believed and one deceived. We have John kind of introducing Judas to us now. He's already began to tease us, saying Jesus knew who would believe and those who would uh, turn back on him. So he's beginning to tease us about Judas. Now he's going to mention him by name in this next section. But 11 who believed, one who deceived in verses 67 through 69, and Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? So now Jesus turns to his 12, the disciples who have been following him for two years. And Simon answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So they already, in the last 48 hours, they've seen some amazing things that had come from Jesus. Not only Jesus teaching and healing and uh, casting out demons and even raising some from the dead. They have seen all of this in the course of their ministry thus far. But in the last 24 to 48 hours, they had seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus again heal through the people touching the hem of his garments. And they saw the people turn away from him and walk no more. But the significant thing, when Jesus came to them in the midst of that storm, when they were there on the Sea of Galilee, and he came to them in the boat after Peter failed at the attempt to walk on water. Jesus rescued Peter, brought them both into the boat. The Bible tells us in Matthew 14, 33, the 12 worshiped Jesus saying, truly, you are the son of God. So they made this acknowledgement in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. 
and they continue to make that same acknowledgement again in John 6, 69. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now when challenged by Jesus, 11 of the 12 had come to believe and know that Jesus is surely the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus becomes that way of passing from death into life. Jesus said, you will not come into judgment, but faith in me brings you into everlasting life. So John revealing Judas to us here, and this is the first mention of Judas in John's gospel, 70 and 71, Jesus answered and said, did I not choose you, the twelve, but one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas Iscariot the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him being one of the twelve. So if you do not know this, I'll just tell you it again if you've forgotten about it. But every first mention of Judas in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, when his name first appears, there's other Judases. So make sure you're looking at Judas Iscariot. The very first mention Every gospel writer tells us that he is the one who portrayed Jesus. I mean, they're not trying to do a mystery here because if you're writing a mystery novel, they'd want to save that to the end. They want to, you know, keep you guessing which one of the 12 is going to deceive. They didn't want to keep anybody guessing. It was Judas. This is the one. So from here on out, watch his character. And John gives us a bit of his character. Well, here he tells us that Jesus said of Judas, he has a devil in verse 70. In chapter 12, verse 5, when Mary anointed Jesus with this expensive perfume, Judas was the one who complained and said, why isn't this oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John explains to us that Judas didn't care about the poor. Judas was our treasurer. And he used to take money. He was an embezzler. He used to take money from the money box. So he he really didn't care about the poor. He was thinking, what a waste. Man. I could have embezzled a bit of this money out of here. It also tells us something about, I don't know how they elected a treasurer. I don't know if Judas just volunteered or they thought, man, Judas, he's the guy. Let's pick him. And sadly, in church life, there's been a lot of wrong choices for treasurers in many of churches that have found themselves with people doing very the very same thing, embezzling from the funds that come and given to the church, to the Lord. Judas was a thief. John tells us that in John 12, 6. John tells us of Satan possessing Judas in John 13, 2. John tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus 
in John 8, verses 1 through 11. John 13, 2, it tells us, As supper was ended, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows those who believe, those who do not believe. And it's my prayer that we would be those who believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I've been getting a little more stubborn with uh, faith decals, I guess you would say. If you see the back of my pickup truck, it says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I used to have a bigger one on my old truck. Um, I couldn't find that one, so I have a smaller one. It says the very same thing. Um, I let people know who follow behind me that I love Jesus. Sometimes they honk because they like it. Sometimes they honk because they don't like it. But I let them know. And I have, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. I received it through an organization called U-Turn for Christ that our son has been involved with. And uh, he gave me a sweatshirt that I have it here at the church today. I wore it today. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, so I've been wearing my sweatshirt a lot more now because... um, like three weeks ago or four weeks ago at the Mall of America, there was a man there that had a Christian T-shirt on and he was asked to leave the mall. And I thought, well, bring it. I'm going to put my jacket on. I'm going to let people know. If they want to kick me out, so be it. Uh, But we're going to take a stand. I haven't had any of that go on. Um, I will say that one time with my old pickup truck that Uh, The top atheist, he's died now in this area. Uh, He came up behind me once, and I know it was him because of his license plate. Not only did he come up behind me honking and flashing his lights at me, and then he got in front of me and slowed down that I could read his license plate that said atheist on it, so I know who it was. Um, We had a disagreement of Jesus. I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. This guy did not. And now he knows for real because he has died. And now he has to face his choice. I pray that you believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's something that every person on this earth has to come to reality to deal with. Are you going to believe or not? So we get to Mark chapter 7. We're doing pretty well here. Rolling along. And I took 23 verses. You also find this in Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Uh, Mark had just a little bit more detail. They're saying the same, or they're talking about the same accounts. And that's our chronological journey through the gospel. We're just going to deal with one of the accounts when they talk about the same situation. We're going to look at Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. But I'm going to read larger chunks to kind of roll us through here. Jesus, now remember, many of his disciples turned away from him, walked with him no more. That verse is where it's in John chapter 6. What verse? 66. You got her down. John 6, 66. Now we find there is contention with the religious rulers. It had been there before, but it's going to keep getting hotter and hotter. And here we find when the Pharisees came, verses 1 through 5 of Mark 7, 
The Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem, so there in Capernaum, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees, all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. My mom followed this very well. Do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things that they did and received and held, like the washing of cups, pitchers, pitchers, copper vessels, couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes answered and asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands. So here, it's tradition of the elders. That's the big thing that Jesus is going to point out to them. And the scribes and Pharisees are saying, yeah, this is it. This is what we do. Why isn't your disciples following the things that the traditions of our forefathers have taught us to do, especially with the washing of hands? So Koinos is the Greek word that is translated as with defiled, that is unwashed hand. That word defiled is koinos, uh, koinonia, uh, koine Greek is where we get our Bible from. All that means is common. So common hands. Why are they eating with common hands? What do you mean with common hands? It would be like, the grand boys when they were younger and probably still gathering around for dinner and mom saying, did you wash? And then they walk away and go sprinkle some water on their hands. <laughs> Come back and then I could say, did you wash? <laughs> we pretended to wash. Common hands. So rabbinic tradition had been passed down from generation to generation and had actually taught that there was a special way to wash. And if you read the Jewish uh, Talmud in this Jewish writings, basically the Talmud is commentary on the first five books of the Bible and people would have questions, what did Moses mean? And so they would expand the meaning and pretty much they had to wash under running water. It's not a bad thing, but wash under running water, wash their hands, their wrists, have the water dripping off their elbows. They were a special way to wash. Now, at least six of the disciples were fishermen. Has anybody ever been fishing before? And maybe you're fishing for a long period of time and you brought lunch with you. And there's not running water. There's water there because you're fishing. You might be in a boat on the side of the uh, creek or a river or on the side of a lake. But that washing might just come, like I can envision with at least six of Jesus' disciples being fishermen. They're pretty accustomed to kind of reaching over and washing their hands. If it was a big boat and they couldn't reach over and grab the water because the boat was too tall out of the water, maybe they had buckets in. They just wash up before they would eat, but not in the traditional way. They were much like when I was a brick mason for about 20 years uh, because we had to make mortar. I mean, you can't lay brick without mortar, 
mortars made with water. There was always water around. It was usually in a bucket. It was usually in a barrel. And I'd often washed up in a bucket or a barrel. And sometimes when it was really hot out, man, I'd stick my whole head down in that barrel to cool off. And then I might wash my hands and have dinner. It, it was not sanitary, but I washed before I ate. Yeah, Mom, I washed. No soap involved, any of that. To the Jews, this was in the Talmud. They taught, if a man neglects washing, he shall be eradicated from this world. Eradicated, that's a pretty big word. They're just zap you right out of the world if you don't wash before lunch. So we have potluck today. Just saying. (laughs) Six through eight. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines of the commandments of men, I read that wrong, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, laying aside the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers of cups and many other such things you do. Jesus saying they lay aside God's word to keep their traditions. They honor me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. You know, those words that Jesus quoted from Isaiah were 700 years prior to this event that is talked about in Mark chapter 7. And yet Jesus applied the words of Isaiah from 700 years earlier to the generation that he ministered to. And I can say to you today, 2,700 years later, those words can be applied to our own generation. There are many who strive to keep the traditions of men and lay aside the word of God. But Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers, the flower flower fades. The word of God stands forever. God's word is lasting. So he called them hypocrites. Hypocrites is, it's a Greek word that means to put on a mask. So if they were to go to Greek theater in their day, they, they developed um, with their amphitheaters that they built. It was all developed for sound. Uh, you had, you know, the stage at the bottom, the amphitheater. We still do similar things today. It went up. You had all this stone that would reflect the voice, carry the voice. But the actors would put on masks. But in the mask, they had a device that would help to uh, make their voice go a little further, louder. Not an electronic microphone like I'm using on the, clipped on the side of my ear here, but they had this method of wearing these masks, one, to help to get their sound, the voice out, but number two, to change character. So you could have the same actor being a different character. He just put on a different mask. They were pretenders. And Jesus is using this word to say that you guys, the scribes, the Pharisees, you're pretenders. You act like you're holding to the word of God, but you're really just holding to the traditions of men. 
Isaiah 55:11. So my word goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void to me. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is lasting. The traditions of men, man and society, if you try to follow, just think about it. And I, I won't mention any of them, but, and I could, think about over the last, especially with social media, and it seemed like for a while that everybody's social media page had to have some kind of theme behind it. It might be a flag. It might be a name of a group. It might be some kind of concern, but it was almost like monthly. Hey, this is the new fad, the new thing that we all need to be following. And so we run after this and everybody has a new little, I never did. I just have my same old face up there all the time, but they have their new thing. I'm for this. And then next month, oh, no, I'm for this. And next month, oh, no, I'm for this. And they're letting you know where they stand, but they don't know where they stand because one month they're for this, next month they're for that, and then they get, something new will come up. You will chase that stuff until you go to the grave. Man is ever-changing. God is always the same. So how do we wash? By allowing Christ to wash us from the inside out. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25, and 26, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup, the dish, but inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside of them will also be cleaned. Jesus was saying to the scribes and Pharisees, Yeah, you look good from the outside, but the inside, your heart is bad. Do a washing on the inside, and then the outside will naturally get clean. So how do we wash from the inside? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10:22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. We wash from the inside out by allowing Jesus to do the washing, to do the changing. He changes our hearts. He changes our lives. He changes our desires. And so often we attempt to do these things on our own, apart from Christ, and we always fail. We may straighten up for a while, but it will never be lasting apart from Christ. And so we find in verses 9 through 13, they said, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, what profit you may receive from me is Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. So they had these battles. Because of tradition, they rejected the commandments of God. I I grew up in church. My dad came to faith in Jesus Christ when I was two months old. Dad was holding me uh, before he received Christ. The pastor said, if anyone wants to receive Jesus as their Savior, come down front after the message was preached. They had a song. We'll play a song. Pastor Kevin will be down front. 
my dad said, it's time. He got rid of me. I don't know what he did with me, but he, he passed me off and went down. And I grew up in church, but I also saw these battles of tradition. They're kind of masking phrases like, well, we've never done it like this before. Or this is the way that we've always done it. Doesn't mean it's right. And yet traditions often keep us from the truth of God's word. We need to continually be checking our traditions with the word of God, making sure that we're actually not following the commandments of men or fables, but following the truth of God's word. So Jesus responded saying with two of these laws, first, honor your father and mother. So the law stated, honor your father and mother that your life might be long upon this earth. That is the uh, fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. That's number five, honor your father and mother. And then a second part of that comes from Leviticus 20 verses 9, anyone who curses his father and mother shall surely be put to death. So I don't know if they ever put a son or a daughter to death for cursing their father and mother, but they're trying to show how serious this could be. So Jesus used the word Corbin, a gift dedicated to God. So this is the best way I could explain this to you. Someone before they dies comes to me, Pastor John, and says, after I pass, I put your church, Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, in a will. And everything that I own is going to go to Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. So it's going to be yours, but you have to wait until I die. So what does that mean? Until he dies, everything he owns is his, right? He's living off it. He's using it. He's either growing his wealth or causing his wealth to get smaller, depleting his wealth. But it's his until his death, then it goes to the church. Well, they're saying, Corbin, that it's been dedicated to God. All my wealth has been dedicated to the temple. But they were saying, sorry, mom and dad, I gave that to the Lord. So I can't help you out. Sorry you didn't save when you were, you know, putting me through college. Sorry you couldn't save to take care of your retirement. But thanks for the college education. And it's kind of that sense is we're not taking care of you because we dedicated that money to God, except God didn't get the money yet. They hadn't died. So they're using it. They're not helping out mom and dad. But one day, and let's say to change your will, they will go to the temple. So they were getting out of taking care of, and that's all it is. They were getting out of taking care of mom and dad by saying that they had given their money to God, but they were still living off their money. And Jesus said that you guys have made the word of God of no effect. And that is a danger of making the word of God of no effect, even to this generation. So he called the multitude to himself. He's talking to the Pharisees, the scribes. Now he tells everyone, verse 14 through 16, Hear me, anyone who understands, there is nothing that enters from the outside which can defile him, Remember the first complaint, defile that which is common. Your disciples are eating with common hands. They didn't wash properly. There's nothing from the outside that can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. 
So eating food with unwashed hands may get dirt inside your body, but it's not going to defile you. It's not going to make you morally unclean. Um, it is not going to corrupt your heart. It's not going to defile the person within. Jesus said what defiles the person is what comes out of his heart. Again, we already read this, I believe, in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is des- deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God's saying in verse 10, Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give everyone according to his ways. The Word of God tells us in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So Jesus said, don't worry about the food thing. So you guys get, you know, after church, potluck meal. If you don't wash, don't worry. Jesus said so. Don't worry. But do worry about what's coming out of your heart. 17 through 23. And when they had entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you without understanding also? So now he's talking to the 12. Do you not perceive what enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? That word for defile means common. It cannot defile you. Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. What comes out of a man... That defiles a man, for from within, within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about the food. That's not an issue. The disciples may have been thinking, oh, yeah, man, we forgot to wash. And Jesus said, what, you know, maybe they were over washing. It's like, what are you guys doing? Don't you understand? It's not about the physical washing. It's about what's coming out of your heart. Now, in Matthew 15, 12, it tells us that the Pharisees were offended when they heard these saints. They knew that Jesus was talking against them. That was that year of opposition. It's going to get hotter as we continue to go through the Gospels. But true defilement doesn't come from the food that we eat or assimilate in our bodies and then it's eliminated. True defilement comes from what comes out of our hearts. Jesus gave us a list of 13 things here. That defiles a person, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lawlessness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Paul described all of these things in Galatians chapter 5 as the work of the flesh. In fact, he expanded the list to make it much larger than only 13. But he did mention in his expanded list, he mentioned adultery, fornication, lewdness, murders. But he added to the list as well. He described all these things in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 as the works of the flesh. But here's the thing that I want us to pull from what Paul talked about in Galatians. He said that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice, who exercise, to do repeatedly, habitually, 
Those are the ones who will not enter the kingdom of God. David knew that it was not outward piety, but an inward change of the heart that was necessary before God. That's why he cried out in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. So Paul in Galatians chapter 5, he talked about not the works of the flesh, but the importance of our walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, to live by the spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the for the flesh, lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, they are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So the fruit of the spirit, that's what we desire in our lives. Jesus gave a list of thirteen, and that list included evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, thefts, covetousness, the list of thirteen. But we want the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul lists these things out to us in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. My question for you today, are you letting Jesus change you from the inside out. And Father, I pray that that would be the be so for each of us, Lord, that we are allowing you to do the work that only you can do. Change us, Lord, from the inside out. That we might walk, Lord, in your spirit, that we might know your truths, that we would be led by the Spirit, that we would live by the Spirit, that we would have the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, when we have held on to the traditions of men. Traditions, Lord, even within or outside of the church, they're ever-changing. They're always different. Your word, Lord, is truth forever, always. Help us to stand in such truth. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.